Dan Romanelli, former agent for Bugs Bunny, thanks to his 23 tenure at Warner Brothers, has returned. And I wanted to ask him some questions regarding Tweety Bird, as well as his rollout of the WB store and a lot of merchandise that happened therein. And we also wanted to congratulate Looney Tunes cartoons for being nominated for two brand new Emmys this year. So, of course, you realize this means podcast. Are you ready, eager young space cadet? Meep, meep. Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Hello and welcome to This Means Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and with me today, it is my honor and pleasure to bring back to the show, Dan Romanelli. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you for inviting me again. Absolutely. It is a joy to have you. And I love hearing these stories. You have had a a wonderful career surrounded by Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny specifically. You were instrumental in creating the Warner Brothers Consumer Products, and that is still a thriving brand today. It encompasses all of the DC heroes, as well as Looney Tunes and Harry Potter, Friends, everything that is under the Warner Brother umbrella. And you were also a big advocate for Space Jam back in the day, and you got that rolling as well. We talked about it on the last show. So I'm here for all new stories, all new adventures with you, and... Uh, I was so grateful to have on the creators of Carrot Blanca a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tim and Julie Cahill. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend it, listeners. It is a it was one for the record books. We got into the depth and everything that went into making that show. It was wonderful. And Dan was instrumental in that process as well, as he was there to hear the pitches and to to react to them and get that ball rolling. So. Dan, starting off, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I uh, pre- very much appreciate the invitation. I always love talking about Looney Tunes because, you know, the expression, that's all, folks. Well, there's, it's never that's all. There's so much more, you know, folks, uh, in terms of the <laughs> stories and, and uh, you know, that, that uh, it, it will always remain in my life such a significant part of my career such a fun part. And as you know, Space Jam was such a highlight for me. Uh, and, and it was a great opportunity because nobody, frankly, it was turned down. And, and as you know, and I, I won't go into that story again, but David Falk called me and said, you know, that who was Michael Jordan's manager. And he said, they turned us down. And I said, well, first of all, why didn't you tell me you were going to propose that? And if Michael's <laughs> willing to do it, let me, try to lead that charge and, and, and reinstate it. And, and I had a lot of help from uh, Bob Daly, who was the CEO of Warner's because he was a huge Michael Jordan fan. And uh, he, you know, he, he would have done it in a heartbeat and he did, but we got everyone on the bandwagon to do it. And and, uh, I didn't, I have to say, I did not see the second space jam and, uh, Well, it did well amongst audiences and it was, it was a delight. They, they, I thought they did it really well. Um, It was a bit more, you know, all encompassing for Warner Brothers IP, not just Looney Tunes. And 
you know, LeBron did a serviceable job as the lead. Um, I, I don't want to compare Michael Jordan to LeBron here, but, you know, I thought I thought it was a serviceable movie. And uh, it was great seeing Looney Tunes back on the big screen as all. Yeah, I know we're here to talk about Tweety, but I have to tell you one story. I was invited to the premiere and uh, oh, okay. I, was, I was glad to get an invitation because I figured, well, geez, I wouldn't have gotten an invitation if I didn't push through the first one, you know, which because it was, you know, it was, you know, it, it was turned down. Right, right. And so, and I'm sitting there and, you know, there's so many changes at Warner's. I know very few of the people there now because I've been gone, you know, 20 some odd years or more. And uh, one of the uh, older producers came over to me, not that old, but, you know, he came over compared to me, not that old. And he came <laughs> over to me and it was crowded and there were all kinds of events going on and partying It was before the film. Mm-hmm. And he said, how does it feel, Dan, to know that none of us would be here today celebrating if it wasn't for you pushing through the first movie? And I said, you know, it does feel good. I'm sorry that you're the only person who recognizes that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but it, it, nonetheless, it, it, it felt good at the time. It was very celebratory for me. So uh, uh, I was That's glad wonderful. to see that it happened. Yeah. And uh, again, as a fan of Space Jam, thank you for getting that made and pushing that through because, you know, that was a big part of, part of my childhood, but also, you know, the legacy of Looney Tunes and that's how it's lived on through kids and through that film. And, you know, sports movies in general don't get a whole lot of acclaim, but, you know, that right. one really pushed the boundary on like live action animation, doing new things with technology and, you know, putting the Looney Tunes in the forefront again, which hadn't been done for some odd 30 years before then. So, right. you know, um, yeah. it was great and to I, see. I remember uh, uh, that uh, there was an article that was published in in uh, the Washington Post, I think, about the 20-year reunion uh, oh. or the 20-year member uh, um, anniversary and... Uh, and I remember telling them that that it did very well all around the world. And uh, one of the international distribution guys said, well, it was lucky. We were just lucky. And and I said, I totally disagree. It wasn't lucky. It was that Michael Jordan is so iconic and so popular around the world. And so is Bugs Bunny. You put them together, you have a good story and it worked. That wasn't luck. That was, you know, good production, good and great actors, you know, which was Jordan and, uh, you know, Jordan played himself. He wasn't an actor. He played himself. That's why it was central casting for him. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's some really fun cameos in there as well, but, um, moving on from, from space jam, I do want to, uh, quickly shout out the team over at HBO max for their work on Looney Tunes cartoons. It's headed by Sam Register over there and Pete Browngard. Did you ever work with Sam Register, by the way? I did. Sam is great. He's a terrific talent. And he uh, wasn't head of animation when I was there, but he he rose to the top and deservedly so. And he's a big fan of of all things Looney Tunes and and as well as many, you know, and now I think they're doing uh, Animaniacs again, aren't they? Or They something? are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and uh, that's an interesting story, too, by the way, uh, of how that happened. Uh, not Animaniacs, but uh, Tiny Toons. Did we ever discuss that? 
Uh, we haven't yet. Yeah. Uh, by all means, because Tiny Toons is being revived as well for yes. uh, so Warner Brothers Animation. I, I have to give you a story I, uh, about Tiny Toons if I haven't told you this before. So um, Brad Globe, who's a dear friend and who replaced me, uh, mm-hmm. he was at Amblin and he worked for Steven Spielberg. And, and I thought to myself that, um, God, if we could come up with a junior version of Looney Tunes, you know, it could be huge financially for, for us. And, and, yeah. um, and, you know, Looney Tunes was getting a little dated. It was very successful, but I, you know, you always want to reinvent something. And, sure. and, um, so I, I said to Brad, is there any chance Stephen would be interested in a younger version of Looney Tunes and we call it Tiny Tunes, you know? I didn't say Tiny Tunes, but I said something like, you know, Baby Looney Tunes or whatever. Not not even Baby Looney Tunes. It was, you know, more for adult uh, and older kids. And and so he said, let's pitch it to him. We, we mentioned it to Stephen. Stephen said he would be open to it because he was a fan. And we then went out and uh, I think it was Gene... Uh, uh, McCurdy uh, became president of uh, Warner Animation and she invented with uh, a lot of help and Stephen's help as well, Tiny Toons. It became a huge success. And and for for me, I had an ulterior motive because I had a lot of old deals that I inherited on Looney Tunes from companies that really weren't qualified to do uh, great licensing. And so... Tiny Tunes gave us an opportunity to kind of go out and do a whole new set of licenses. And, and, and it was great and it was very successful. And yeah. uh, so I was thrilled. And that really started with Brad Globe, you know, who, who replaced me ultimately and myself. And, um, and uh, you know, it, it was very well done and it lasted many, many years. And as you said, they're doing another version, I think, of that. You know? They are, yes. And Spielberg has a big hand in it. So it's under good hands. It's under good leadership over there. And they had a, a concept art reel that played at Comic-Con this year. So we got to see some of the character oh, designs. And it's it's an evolution. The characters are now in, in the full university. So great. they've uh, graduated elementary school and high school. Super, super. Yeah. Yeah, but thank you. That that was instrumental in my childhood as well. I know a lot of fans of Tiny Toons that are indebted to you for that and uh, and Spielberg and everybody. So I'm super excited about this, you know, revitalization of that. But also I enjoy watching the the classics I or, you know, the original series. <laughs> I don't want to call them classics just yet, but they're on Hulu and you can check them out uh, immediately yes. and uh, yes. highly recommend it. Yeah. Well, Jean McCurdy, I don't know if you've ever interviewed her, but she's she uh, really ran a great organization, you know, the Warner Animation team and and yeah. and Tiny Toons and Animaniacs was terrific. And, you know, it was kind of irreverent and fun, you know, and, it's the best. Yeah. The the interesting thing was uh, from from a licensing point of view, initially. Tiny Toons, I thought was going to be massive. And, uh, but what happened was it did very well. No one, even Stephen obviously didn't need a lot of money, but he made a lot of money from it. But as we did too. But what happened was it was a huge explosion for our Looney Tunes business because people realized that it paid homage to Looney Tunes. 
Yes. And they wanted more Looney Tunes stuff as a result of that. <laughs> so we had massive numbers of success for Looney Tunes. And I, I give a lot of credit to Tiny Tunes for helping that. And and then ultimately yeah. Animaniacs was big too. But, uh, you know, it really reinvented Warner animation, you know, so... I don't think there was a better conduit for that reinvention. You had the, you know, junior versions of these characters, but it was fresh. It was new. It was, you know, taking 90s pop culture and, you know, flipping it on its head and doing parodies. And, you know, no right. one is as good as parody as Looney Tunes. You know, right. that's uh, that's my opinion. So, you know, to see Tiny Tunes take a whack at it and, and excel, too, I thought that was really great. So... Getting back to Tweety, because we don't want to lose the main focus, right? <laughs> um, um, it, it, that he was he, she, you know, the argument always about was it a he or a she? And 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 I think I told you this last time, um, the uh, the the man who invented Tweety, um, Frizz Freeling, who, who also did the Pink Panther, yes. you know, and, mm -hmm. um, but he was always being challenged that Tweety was a girl and, uh, and he, he once did, and maybe I, I don't know if I told you this in the last story, he once created an animated cell of Tweety in the men's bathroom with a lineup of other men at a urinal from the back, <laughs> you, you know, you saw all these people just to prove that he was a male, you know, and yes. I, you know, coveted that animation cell but i could never get it and i keep on reaching out to his daughter who you know to say please i'll buy it i want it in my collection you know, so. yes that's that's hilarious uh on on the podcast it's come up multiple times as far as the you know the sex of tweety but right. you know because he's a bird and he was put on a lot of female clothes a lot of women grew up with him on on them in you know sparkles and pink and all that stuff right so he's now become an androgynous icon right <laughs> tweety um, would so, be his masculinity would be insulted by all of it but he he was the only character we had that, you know that we could do girls product from because right. he was so cute and adorable and <laughs> uh you know just there, don't get too were... close to him because he has a mallet behind him. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so so do many women, you know. <laughs> it's very true. Um, I wanted to go back to con congratulating uh, the Looney Tunes team on their Emmy nomination real quick as they were nominated for both Outstanding Musical Direction and Composition for an Animated Program, and that is in part to Joshua Mosier and Carl Johnson, both are which phenomenal talents that they had on these Looney Tunes shorts, and they did bring back a full orchestra that they had to, you know, uh, create these scores for and with, and it, it's just, it's been so long since Warner Brothers had that at their disposal, and for them to do that for these, it felt really special, so I'm right. grateful for them, and I'm glad the, the uh, Emmys are recognizing that. That is great. Absolutely. And they were also nominated for Outstanding Voice Performance in an Animated Program. And this is Eric Bauza, who does the voice of Bugs Bunny, Tweety Bird, as we're talking about, and so many others. And uh, this is his sixth Emmy nomination. 
and hopefully first win this year. So fingers oh, crossed. Um, but yeah, like the talent over there is just out outstanding and remarkable. And I, I, I couldn't be more thrilled to have these shorts on uh, the streaming service. And I wish they would release them on physical media so I could, you know, have them forever. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's wonderful to have this reinvigoration, whether it's Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, or these new shorts, uh, mm-hmm. full of Looney Tune humor. And there's just so much reverence out there for these yes. characters that it's it's wonderful to see. The other person you should interview at one time or another is George Doherty. Do you know George? George Doherty, he is the guy that does the... Bugs on Broadway. Yes, Bugs on Broadway. Yeah. Um, I haven't reached out to him yet, but uh, I should definitely do that. <laughs> yeah, because he, he, you know, he, he really helped a lot with, you know, putting the mute, the real orchestra underneath. Because these, com- these, you know, cartoons are all evolved with classical music. It's what right. taught kids like me when I was young, 500 years ago, classical music, because we learned it from the Looney Tunes, you know, cartoon. Exactly. We wouldn't know and, who Franz Liszt is without Yeah, and, and I remember the first time we did it, it was at a, a theater, a Broadway theater, and Chuck Jones was there, and huge standing ovation uh, after the first uh, orchestra. It was the live orchestra underneath the, the cartoons, and it, it was reconfigured to do a live orchestra, which is unusual. And then it traveled all around the world. He was very successful with it. He's a great guy. I think he's up, lives in the Bay Area. So he might be an interesting person to, for you to interview, you know. Thank, thank you for that. Yeah, I'll definitely reach out to him. Um, one of the things that Julie mentioned was that there used to be a Warner Brother archive. And in it, you could go in and you could see props and and different uh, cardboard cutouts of these characters interacting in certain ways. And one of them was a classic piano, and they had Daffy Duck from Carrot Blanca seated in the seat. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? I don't, no, but I think oh, okay. I heard about it, but I don't remember <laughs> seeing it, you know? But, uh Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm really I'm really bummed out that I missed out on this archive tour that they used to have at the studio. And, um, you know, I guess it was a smaller version of the Warner Brothers store that would then be expanded globally. Right. What was it like back then in the 90s uh, getting the Warner Brother product in malls? Um, It well, initially it was very easy because when we first opened, we opened at the you know Beverly Center and uh, and then three other cities okay. in Washington D.C. and um, uh, uh, was Los Angeles, Washington D.C. I'm trying to remember Chicago, I think, in one other city. But everywhere we opened, it was like a massive success because it was irreverent. We had a much bigger screen than Disney had in their store, and and um, uh, I always wanted to open. When, when I, you know, look, we were, you know, the second class citizen compared to Disney. Disney, right. you know, <laughs> I mean, they invented this business, you know. I copied them, you know, in fairness. And uh, and they, they were and probably still are the greatest. But uh, but we did very well. When we opened our store, we, we revved it up. So we had a much better video wall and we did more adult because we learned that we appeal to adults. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, Looney Tunes was not really the kids grew up from Looney Tunes. It wasn't no longer regularly on TV. It was in syndication. And um, and whenever we showed product to the kids, they were kind of yawning. But when we showed it to adults, they loved it. So we decided <laughs> we have to have more adult stuff in the store. And and the adult stuff blew out and uh, and it worked it worked very well, uh, you know, and for a while, and it kept on growing and growing very successfully, but, you know, like trees, you know, they grow so high and then they stop growing and, and retail, we needed to refresh with different movies and stuff like that. And Disney, you know, always creates multiple movies and, and merchandisable, you know, product. And we Warners didn't for that matter, you know, it was limited, but that's why I think it got a little soft. But while we were building the stores, it was we ramped up to over a hundred. It was doing that well, and then it got soft. And then we had to uh, we realized we didn't have enough, you know, movies and TV shows to maintain the kind of business. You know, now and Harry Potter was very successful, obviously, and other products like that. But uh, sure, but um, and Space Jam was a uh, really necessary for us to uh, to. Uh, you know, produce, um, you know, successful results in the store so I could keep my job. <laughs> That's what it's all about in the, at the end of the day. <laughs> but no, I, you know, the, the store is definitely a landmark of consumer products within Warner Brothers. And I know that there's a lot of people that still miss those, you know, uh, brick and mortar that you can actually right. go to and see the characters and, you know, right. have, have that product in front of you. But now everything is online. Even the Disney stores have closed and now they're online. Right. So it's, it's an ever changing process and, uh, and business for sure. But you were, you know, it was a landmark time and, you know, I, I couldn't be more thrilled to have grown up with Warner brothers store. So again, thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Um, Thank you for yeah. your business <laughs> and your interest. He's still going strong today. Uh, as you can tell, I have a Warner Brothers uh, Acme uh, sweater on right now. Oh, I love and, it. Um, yeah, yeah. There, you, you know, know what I have right next to me? I have from the studio store the Space Jam Michael Jordan statue here. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> Someone offered me 5000 for it, and I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so uh, he's here with me he's here with me he's, all the time he's priceless <laughs> yes <laughs> so also uh what were there any uh fun like merchandise opportunities that tweety was on that you signed off on that you were like i don't know if this is going to sell but this is a really unique idea or do you remember anything with the looney tunes that was well i remember in the studio store because we didn't have enough female appealing product we knew tweety appealed to women mm -hmm. so we did a litany of um what they call skus you know stop keeping stock keeping units sure uh, with with tweety's design on it and um and all of it all of it in the beginning sold out it was like a huge success with women because you know guys aren't going to buy tweety but, but <laughs> girls, girls loved it for little girls and women loved it because they grew up on, with Tweety. So we, I mean, Tweety probably would have been pissed if, <laughs> because, 
<laughs> I'm a man, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but it, it worked, you know, and it worked great. And I remember that we were all very, very pleased that, and they were the people who designed it, who worked for the stores were really talented and smart and, and, uh, you know, knew the kind of designs that would work. And, and we had a lot of fun, you know, we thought for a while that, that we didn't have that appeal to women. And I remember right. there was one story, let me, uh, tell you about that. Uh, there, there was, um, um, these French brothers who had called and they had a store called too cute. Okay. They, uh, had these incredible jackets and they didn't, there was all Disney product and they were selling them for like five, six, $700 a jacket. They were amazing. Wow. And, um, I'm trying to remember their names right now. And, uh, they were French family mm -hmm. and, and I, uh, stopped them at the licensing show cause one was walking around with these characters and I said to him, the Guyettas, the Patrick Guyetta and Tony Guyetta. And by the way, this Tony Guyetta is a genius in terms of his designs and everything. And I stopped him at, at, at the licensing show. And I said, you know, you're, you always have these Disney things. And I've been to your stores and you sell Disney all the time. How come you never do Warner Brothers? And he says uh, in his French accent, you would give me a license for Warner Brothers? And I said, with pleasure, I would give you a license. Um, and what does Disney pay you? He says, they pay me nothing. I don't have a license with Disney. I just produce their product and sell it in the store. I said, well, that oh, sounds wow. like a better deal. <laughs> but, <laughs> so he was ripping Disney off, but he was selling like crazy. So right. we made a deal with him. And, and the stuff we put in the stores was just blowing out. It was on fire. And then we started putting his designs in Walmart and Target. And that was blowing out too. And they're, they're, I think they're geniuses. They do beautiful product. I don't know if they still have their store and it, it was in Hollywood. Uh, okay. But, uh, but, I'll have uh, to look that up. But Tony Guyetta has just a huge... He took me once up to his office and he showed me all the Warner Brothers uh, stuff, the Looney Tunes characters that he did design work with. I said, you know, we love I love it all. And in fact, a funny story, when I got from my first wife, I got, you know, divorced, ultimately divorced, but I was separated. And I moved into the Hilton not the Hilton, the Universal, I guess it was the Hilton. It was Universal Hotel over you know, yeah. right, Universal Studios. Right up the road. For a month. And I went away for a week and told uh, the hotel that, you know, I'm keeping my room, I'm paying for it, but I'm going to be traveling. When I came back, everything was gone from my closet. And and oh, uh, I, I told the manager, you know, what happened here? And they were embarrassed and they somehow rented it to someone in the room and the guy said, Oh, look at all the stuff someone left. I'm going to take it all. And he took oh all my of my too cute stuff. And oh, no. ultimately they got everything back, but the too cute stuff, you know? So uh, uh, I was really mad at the hotel, but the bottom line was that they're, they're, they're brilliant. The, the designers of merchandise and this Tony Guyetta is a genius when it comes to, the Looney Tunes characters. And we frankly made a lot of money buying his product and making him legitimate as a licensee, you know? So 
Oh, that's so, a wonderful yeah. story. Outside yeah. of the fact that you lost a bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, that's wonderful. I'm definitely going to be looking into that uh, company and seeing if they're still around because I'd yes. like to see their product. interesting just to show all his artwork, you know, that, that yeah. Tony, Tony Guetta has some very interesting, fascinating artwork. He's a very talented guy. I would love to put it on the on the Instagram and on the blog if uh, if yes. you want to like have it displayed somewhere that right. Looney Tunes and content. It's not only is. it's not only Looney Tunes, but you do Looney Tunes primarily, but it's other characters as well. But okay, you know. But it was funny because when I chased him down at the show, I said, "I know you do all these deals with Disney. How about doing with us?" He says, "Well, I don't pay Disney." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so he's just uh, making all that profit. <laughs> he was smart you know he Tim, was too small at that time for disney to care about it i guess you know you go after the big guys not the little ones you know right tim cahill mm -hmm. also brought up that he did some pitch art for spy jam and some other films that didn't get quite made over at warner brothers after the success of space jam and i was wondering if you had any stories about the unproduced looney tunes projects well there were there were a lot of projects that, you know, I would always pitch on whether it was Looney Tunes or the DC heroes or, you know, uh, uh, because for me, it was all about exposure, you know, mo moves the needle and gets sales and everything. But, um, you know, after Space Jam, we were, we were always pressing, pushing management to do more Looney Tunes. But then we did that movie back in action, if you remember, which was it didn't work. And uh, in fact, I did an animated cell. I don't know if I ever showed that to you uh, with Alan Horn uh, putting a banging over, you know, rabbit season, duck season and Romanelli season. And there was Elmer <laughs> Fudd with a, a rifle, you know, look, a shotgun looking for me because that, oh, no. that, I didn't I didn't produce it. I didn't write it. You know, right. it was it was. Um, it was done by Joe, Joe, uh, Dante, Joe Dante and, See, yeah. and it, it actually wasn't a bad film, No, but, no. uh, but, uh, it died. It died at the box. And I think part of the reason it died was home video right before it came out, put a collection of Looney Tunes videos out literally a week before the movie opened. Everyone thought, Oh geez, that must be the movie and blah, blah. And they bought a lot of the videos but then when the movie opened, you know, it just didn't get good reviews and it never got any business and everything. The only good thing about that movie for me was I had a cameo in it. That's and right. At, was it at yeah, the casino? Yeah. Uh, no, it was like at the end of the movie, I was Bugs' agent and, and Bugs Bunny uh, got in the car with me and we drove off and, and I, I was on the phone. I said, I got to go. Bugs is here. And, and I wished I had done that oh, okay. for Space Jam because that movie everyone saw, you know, back in action, I called it lack of action. Just, you know, that nobody saw, you know, so, but it's not well, a bad, it's not a bad movie, you know. I like it and I saw yeah. it. And uh, Steve Martin was in it. Yeah. I did like the marketing because you, you had a parody of James Bond because the Die Another Day was coming out that same year, that same month, actually. Right. And so they did a 007 parody and uh, the 007 flipped upside down to become an LOO for Looney yeah. Tunes. Yeah. Back in action. I thought that was Joe Dante was the director. Mm -hmm. And um, and he's done, you know, he, he did a lot of, like he directed 
gremlins if you're the yeah. first gremlin. So can I Love tell gremlins. you a quick quick gremlin story? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So <laughs> so that was my first movie, my first okay. merchandising movie. And I made a huge deal. In fact, Brad Globe worked for Spielberg. It was Steven Spielberg Presents. And right, I right. think Chris Columbus wrote it. Mm-hmm. And he That's went correct. to NYU and it was his first movie that he wrote. And it was a huge, it was, uh, it, it, Ghostbusters came out two weeks ahead of us. And then we came out with Gremlins and we made a deal, a massive deal with Hallmark to, oh, wow. to do all the stores. They had the Gremlins in there and we gave them the script and we showed them everything. And, and we had all kinds of great product, plush product, this and that and everything. And Hallmark was looking at it as a very sweet, in those days they didn't have ratings, but it would be a PG movie. You know, they thought, and and it turned right. out probably probably to be PG thirteen because the one scene that was really scary was with Gremlin, one of the Gremlins in the microwave where he yes and it blew up right. That entire kitchen scene is great from "Do You right. Hear What I Hear" until yeah. the end of that with the microwave. Right, and so so I was at the in the screening room when Joe ran that, and and Joe Dante and Mike Fennell, who was the producer were looking at Brad and me because they knew that we would be, you know, panicked when we saw that scene because it was like, like a horror movie. And yeah. at that point, <laughs> and, and I said, Oh shit. And, and, uh, um, we get, we asked them to change it and they wouldn't and eliminate it and they wouldn't. So we said, oh, all right, what the hell? So, <laughs> so the movie Hallmark was doing so much with it that we gave them the right to have a screening for the movie. Right. Okay. And in, in uh, Kansas city and the, 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 on Sunday before the movie opened and on Monday, on that Sunday night, uh, Barry Reardon, who was the president of distribution called me up and he said at home, he says, so Dan, I I think you're going to have a problem tomorrow. I said, why? And he said, because Hallmark had the screening. And a seven-year-old girl ran out of the theater during that scene screaming. Oh, no. And, and I said, oh, okay, well, one girl. He says, no, you don't understand. And he said, Dan, it was Hall's granddaughter. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And I said, oh, shit. And, and um, I said, thanks, Barry. And, and uh, uh, the next day, and Brad had the same problem. I get a call from the top guy at Hallmark. Sure. Just yeah. reading me the riot act. <laughs> and I'm in my draw. You know, I have been at Warner's like four months. Right. And I'm in my draw looking for my CV. You know, mm-hmm. where's my I got to start getting another job here. <laughs> <laughs> but as it turns out, I had a, you know, great run with Hallmark. They were, they were very wonderful partner and and when i retired they invited me out for a party and i told the audience that story and they all <laughs> laughed hysterically because i don't think anyone really cared about lady that lady became ultimately an executive and whatever but uh, they all loved that story and but at the time brad and i were just beside ourselves because we thought uh, you know yeah no that career. I'm sure that was terrifying at the moment. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh no. So with 
Gremlins, you had Chuck Jones doing a cameo, and then Gremlins 2, you had Chuck doing actual animation for the opening with Bugs right. and Daffy. How did right. that come about, or was that talked about prior? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, uh, Joe Dante was, I think, very friendly with Chuck, mm -hmm. you know. But, uh, yeah, so so uh, that was... Uh, uh, you know, the beginning of my career, and I thought it was the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it wasn't the end. I'm yeah, glad you too. went on to do <laughs> such such wonderful things with the intellectual property of Looney Tunes. Right. And I'm glad that, you know, we're here still talking about it, and, uh, and you're doing wonderful consulting within the same uh, entertainment realm and, and getting other companies up and running, too. So that's, that's yes. great. And I've got, you know, I'm, I'm having fun right now uh like i this has nothing to do with looney tunes but um I, we helped put together a deal for clint eastwood with sideshow i don't know if you're familiar with yes Side the yeah the action figures yes and and uh did this with uh, dan kletsky who was my general counsel at the consumer products division and and surprisingly clint's never let me do any licensing over the multiple years i was there but for this one, he kind of because there was a lot of fake stuff out there and his lawyer wanted to clean it up. And the best way to clean it up is to have a legitimate collection. And Sideshow does a brilliant job. And it's just yes, being introduced now. And, and all of his action movies are going to be rolled out, you know, from him, uh, Dirty Harry to, you know, you, you know, Pale Rider, you know, The Man With No Name, you know, all those great, awesome. great movies. And, and yes. Uh, it's nice to see a collectible thing like that happen, you know. So I'm still, I still have my fingers in the pie, so to speak, uh, you know, doing those kind of things, and and um, I so enjoy it, you know. Yeah, no, that's great. I also love the spaghetti western, so I'm definitely gonna have to look into seeing some of those figures when they come out. Yes, and um, you know, maybe reenact the whole ending of the good the bad and the ugly on yes. my desk <laughs> well if you go now on on the online and you look at the sideshow collection you'll see them there and they're very excited oh, about the reaction to it you know he's such a global phenom you know that yes. uh, that um, people love him so <laughs> you know that's great yeah that's great I don't have anything else. If you want to plug anything that you're doing or if you want to uh, let the people know where to find you online, if you want them to. Yeah. Uh, now is the time, Dan. What What else can I plug? I, I'm uh, uh, working on uh, some more Clint Eastwood stuff that I hope happens. Uh, and um, I always like working with people who are older than me. There's less and less of those people. <laughs> 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 Such is life, but uh, that's that's admirable. <laughs> I hope you find all of them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I have a few Looney Tunes projects that I still would, you know, like to do. Uh, um, uh, but I'm also working on some Fury Road kind of things, too. You know, that uh, there's a, 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 a great book that was a bestseller. Um, uh, called Blood, Sweat, and Chrome, and it's Mad Max Fury Road, the wild and true story of it. I don't know if you've heard about it, but oh uh, wow, no, I haven't. Yeah, but but there's um, uh, there's this, and I'm in one of these chapters. Uh, uh, there's a story about. And I know this is a 
a Looney Tunes podcast, so I don't want to take away from that. But uh, we all we all love Mad Max. Yeah, good. There, there was a story in there about we were trying to get him to do something after uh, the third Mad Max that he did, which was Beyond Thunderdome, I believe. He hadn't done mm-hmm. you know anything after that, and he just couldn't come up with an idea. And so Ron Hayes, who's a brilliant toy maker, who did all my Space Jam product, and I were both Fury Road fanatics. We loved the cars and everything. And and, yeah. and so we created all these great cars that were, um, you know, and, and Ron enhanced it. And we went to the head of district, syndication of television, which was Dick Robertson. And he loved the idea of doing a syndicated series on Tribune. Uh, and, you know, uh, for Fury Road, not Fury Road, for the Mad Max. And Mad Max, and mm-hmm. it was like uh, that that was really exciting to uh, to to the Tribune people. They said, wow, we'd love to do that. Would, can Warners give us those rights? And he said, we don't know. And so Dick and I conspired. And and what we did was I brought Ron Hayes. I had him. He was doing space. I had him develop eight cars that were really from the Mad Max, but really more worse than that, you know, and uh, <laughs> crazy kind of stuff. And we set up sure. in my conference room and George was on a business trip to Warner's from, from Australia with, with um, his colleague, Doug, and, 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 uh, and we covered all the cars. And then Dick Robertson went into pitch. He, they came in reluctantly and and we, they presented all the the storyboards for a series, and he was polite. He listened and everything, but in his head, it was always either another movie or nothing, you know. And oh, okay. and um, so he said, "Okay, thank you." He says, "Dan, what's underneath this blanket?" And we lifted the the blanket, and and he had a huge smile on his face. And Ron, who's a brilliant toy maker, just did a whole thing about all the cars and what he did. And he took his stuff and he did this and that and everything. And, and George loved it. He just loved it. And he was jumping up and down. He was really happy. And he says, I've got to go to a meeting across the street with Bob Dale. He was the president. So he left. He said, thank you so much. And Dick Ross says to me, is he going to do the TV series? And I said, I don't know. And I ran out and he's just about getting in the elevator. He hugs me and he says, uh, uh, thank you, Dan. I love that. I said, are you going to do the series? He says, no, I'm going to do another movie. And the, <laughs> the door shut. And, you know, and that was Fury Road, and which won the Oscar wow. and everything. And yes, it's in that it's book. And, and it was, you know, at the time we were all very disappointed because we we thought we were going to make a fortune, <laughs> you know, having a series, you know, a syndicated series, live action and all the toys yeah. we could sell, you know, so whatever. Anyway, it's a fun story, you know. Absolutely. And it does come back because Mad Max is parodied in the new Space Jam with Wiley Coyote yes. uh, doing the, the chrome across his uh, mouth. Right. I heard, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. And, you know, Fury Road did so well. It was yeah. a very uh, hard R-rated movie. But uh, I think that's a huge business, too. I, I wouldn't mind you know, developing some stuff with those guys too. I love them. They're great guys. So, um, 
Yeah. I love that franchise. Right. Uh, Mel started it and did a phenomenal job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's in good hands. Uh, obviously, you know, George Miller's been there the whole way. Anyway, but. well, thank you. Thank you so much, you know, for giving me a chance to, you know, talk to you about all this stuff. I love talking about it. I love having you. And I'm always, you're always welcome to rejoin and uh, share more stories that you've had uh, alongside Warner Brothers with or without these characters. And, um, it's a joy to talk to you as as always, and uh, thank you for your time and coming back on. Thank you very much. I want to thank my guest, Dan Romanelli, for returning and telling those wonderful stories to all of us listeners, as well as everyone who is right now supporting the Patreon. Uh, you can find us over at This Means Podcast at patreon.com, and there's exclusive content over there, including the uncut version of this interview. Uh, so there's a bit more of the, you know, behind the scenes of Looney Tunes back in action, a bit more about uh, George Miller and the Mad Max stuff. And it's just, you know, an overall really fun listen. And of course, you can always find me on social media over on Twitter at OFC This Means Pod and Instagram and Facebook at This Means Podcast. Be sure to like, follow and comment with one of your favorite moments of this show or of one of the projects that we discussed, either Looney Tunes Back in Action, maybe Fury Road. What is one of your favorite Looney Tunes memories for the theatrical, you know, experience? And remember, that's not all, folks. Hugs is here, gotta go. Hey, you know, Daffy, you're right. The usual place, Mr. Bunny? Very good, Ryan. From now on, you and I are gonna be equal partners in this thing. No more second banana for you. Well, thanks, pal. I really appreciate this. At last, my star is rising. All my hopes and aspirations. Whoops.